boards and CEOs increasingly expect their chief marketing officers to function as strategic partners, leveraging every available tool to uphold brand integrity, foster sustainability, harness the power of data analytics, and proactively anticipate market shifts and disruptions. Hello, I'm Jamie Washington, and my expertise lies in marketing and branding strategies that deliver significant profits. With a career spanning over two decades as a global CMO, I've had the privilege of collaborating with Fortune 500 giants like United Airlines, Dunkin' Donuts, Apple, RCA Records, Gillette, and many others. What you might not be aware of is that the brands you adore are actively seeking you out and strategically tailoring their marketing efforts to resonate with you. This visionary orchestration is driven by none other than the chief marketing officer. On this show, the CMO Connect with Jamie Washington, I delve deep into the realms of data, purpose, and the pivotal role played by the CMO. Let's go in. Today on the show, we have Doug Kimball, who is an accomplished chief marketing officer at Ontitex. Doug is known for his charismatic leadership, and he identifies partner needs and translates them into actionable strategies. He boasts an impressive record of leading global teams, fostering a remarkable 95% employee retention rate. His mentorship spans design, project implementation, field engagement, partner relationships, reflecting his dedication to comprehensive leadership. Doug's impactful presence and strategic insights continually drives Ontitex. And one thing that I loved about this interview with Doug is that he said, I care about my team. And you really will see that and hear that inside of this interview. Now, a little bit about Ontitex. Ontitex is an AI data fabric, data mesh planning SaaS platform <laughs> all in one. <laughs> And uh, Ontitex helps enterprises to identify meaning and connections across diverse data assets and massive amounts of unstructured information. And Doug really talks about that. And their technology and their services deliver value through knowledge graphs, interlinking multiple structured and unstructured data assets with graph um, analysis So if you can just think about having a a lot of data and handing it over to someone, Ontitex would be that someone that's going to take that data and structure it so that you can better understand your data. Let's dive in. All right. I am so excited today to have Doug Kimball, CMO from Ontitex with us today. Hi, Doug. How you doing? I love the sound of that. Every time I hear it, it just still makes me giggle. I'm like, CMO, that's just cool. I know. It's, it's It has that nice sound. CMO. Because yeah. we really are the best of the best of the C-suite. I don't care what anyone else says. We, we aren't biased in the slightest. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's what we do is very important. It just doesn't always get recognized the same way. Oh, yes. And as you know, if a campaign goes really well, then it's business as usual. But let that campaign have a little bit of a hiccup. Mm -hmm. Usually 
they're coming for the CMO's neck and everything else. Yep, very much so. <laughs> what have you done for me yesterday? Exactly, not today. Yeah. Tomorrow never comes. Yes, yeah. oh my goodness. So Doug, I always like to start with this question because since we are chief marketing officers, we know a lot about brands and we know a lot about marketing. Mm -hmm. When you were 16 years old, what brand was iconic to you? That's a long time back. Um, <laughs> the nearest one that pops to mind is actually Xerox, and I'll explain that. So my father was my father was an anthropo is an anthropologist, and he used to work you know, in, in you know those places where they did a lot of copies. And this is back when yeah, I was probably maybe a little younger than sixteen, but it just it stuck out. They really started coming out with those things in full speed. I remember having these big, gigantic cardboard tubes that the paper was wrapped around and the toner and everything. I didn't, I'd never heard of a copier before. And so the first time I saw a copier, it was a Xerox. And that's all I knew of was a brand. Um, I was not a real brand conscious kid at all growing up. I still am not real brand conscious. But if I look back to that age frame, I'd say Xerox probably sticks out. Okay, with, with Xerox being that brand for you, in today's world, is it still iconic to you? I, I think it's less than it definitely less than it used to be because I think it has evolved into so much more than just obviously a Xerox copier. But for the longest time, and you probably experienced this too, as, as well as the audience, you know, I'm gonna go make a Xerox of that. I'm right. gonna have a Kleenex. You know, it, those 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 brands that became so iconic that regardless of what actual brand you used, it was a Xerox copy. You might have been using something entirely different. I mean, you're rolling your nose on a tissue that could be something else, but it's a Kleenex. Yes. Um, I think in the last, you know, with, with, all, with all the advancements in technology, I don't think Xerox has the same brand impact. But there's still times occasionally, you know, I, I should get a Xerox to that. I think I say copy more than Xerox, but for the longest time, I need a Xerox of XYZ. Even if it was at a, a Rico or, you know, fill in the blank, it was a Xerox, which, you know, from a branding perspective is outstanding because that just gets stuck in your head. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember when uh, COVID, you know, that little thing that happened, mm -hmm. no one knows anything about <laughs> mm -hmm. shut the whole world down. Um, my children and everyone else who was a parent, we had to, you know, turn into not only CMOs, but we were CMOs and teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, we needed copy machines and everyone had to have their own computers and I have little ones as well. And so I remember going to Staples and asking for a Xerox printer. Interesting. And yes, and they were like, well, we have HP, we have this, this and that and the third, but I was looking for a Xerox. But mm -hmm. it's interesting that you mentioned that we do. We, we, we say the brand because the brand has become so iconic that subconsciously we are using it to speak for that entire industry. But there's, right. different, there's different, you know, corporations and organizations in that industry. Like, I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. So tell me a little bit about Ontitex. Well, that's actually a really... You planned that. It's actually an incredibly good segue because so mm -hmm. Authitext, we are, we are a graph database company. We've been around since uh, about 20 plus years. But when you go to brands, it's actually one of the reasons I've, I've changed our strap line. We're known for our core product called GraphDB. Okay. And there's been times I'm at a trade show and, you know, somebody will walk up, blah, 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 you know, who is Authitext? And I do the, you know, I do the spiel. Then I mentioned, oh, we, we are the company that has GraphDB. 
And if they're in that, oh, GraphDB, yeah, I've heard of GraphDB, but they haven't heard of OntoText. So it's a, it's an interesting branding challenge, but I'll come back to that, you know, I'll talk about OntoText. So yeah, again, graph database technology, if you've used things like Google or IMDB or you've or ordered an Uber, anything, Facebook, LinkedIn, anything that's got those network of network of networks, that's what graph technology is. That's what sits behind all that. Um, what graph technology allows us to do is to have machines understand and reuse data the way we do. I mean, if I look at you and you I said Boston, okay? You, know, you already make you know, four or five connections in your head about Boston. You asked Doug, Doug has different connections about Boston, but I didn't give you any context. I just said the word Boston. And right. you're making these connections in your head. That's what a knowledge graph allows us to do with structured data, unstructured data. And then our particular style of knowledge graph allows you to then, as you put all the data in there, make connections you may not have been aware of before. Because right now we've got Doug Kimball, works at Onset Text, he's a CMO. Jamie Washington is a CMO. And now, we, oh, well maybe Jamie and Doug have a connection of being a chief marketing officer. So it, it, it makes those connections without me telling you to do that. Oh, I love it. Where a relational database just goes, yeah, da, 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 which is, they're very powerful, but they only go, you know, I'm exaggerating, they go in line. Knowledge graphs just, they think like our brain, basically. Now, is it machine learning? It powers, it can power machine learning. It can support things like AI. I'm sure you've probably heard about generative AI, chat GPT, I'm, you know, this small thing again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but to, you know, to do things like the large language models, to power the generative AI, to power machine learning, uh -huh. you have to feed it with good data, with the proper ontologies, the knowledge that sits on top of that. Yes. And a knowledge yeah. graph is one of the most key ways to do that. Initiatives like data fabric and even data mesh where you are bringing together and connecting disparate different kinds of data, that's what a knowledge graph is really, really good at because it, it can ingest, you know, all kinds of data. And one of the things that we think, I think is really slick is like, if you, I think there's a statistic I saw that 80% of the data in a company is unstructured. So you might have hundreds of PDFs of instructional manuals, or you've got, you know, somebody writing notes as they come back from a clinical trial or a doctor entering information or, you know, whatever. it can look at all that unstructured data, do text analytics, which is a key part of what we do. And now you start to make those connections. You get information you didn't, you couldn't get access to before, but now you're getting insights on top of that. So um, I, I often joke, what we do is fundamentally boring. It's just a really, really powerful database but without that solid foundation of interconnected, shared, and most really important, reusable data, it's just data. So probably a long answer, but again, the reason I, I, I dug where you're going with that is again, you know, Ontotex is the company name. And one of the things I did recently, I, I added a strap line to our logos. Now we're Ontotex, the GraphDB company, because people, if they walk up to us at the booth, I want them to go, they may recognize Ontotex, they may more likely recognize GraphDB, Oh, now I got context to have this conversation. I love it. I love it. Okay. Now, Doug, you have to tell me though, how do you have clients like the Financial Times and the UK Parliament? Can you unpack that for the listeners? Sure, because any you know anybody who has data has data problems. Financial Times, they've got a tremendous amount of information they've got to manage and, and look into. 
Okay. And you look at like financial services and especially banking, fraud detection, anomaly detection, looking at all those things. So Jamie Washington spelled J-A-I-M-E Washington opens an account in Buffalo. Okay. Yep. Looks the same, spelled kind of similar. It may be you, but because of those connections that a, that a knowledge graph can do for a financial institution, they can go, is this right? And they have that flag because it makes those connections and those inferences. Um, it's, it's what we're finding, and this is the biggest challenge that we have as an organization, is it is such a powerful foundation that it's sometimes harder to explain. And that's kind of a weird thing. It's, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, it, and obviously we're biased because that's what we deal with, but it is one of those things, again, foundationally, if you want to get the most out of your data, you should work with this kind, you know, this kind of a system because it can bring in most, you know, bring the data together. That's what we run into. So you said Financial Times, who was the other one? I'm sorry, my brain went off into a tangent. In the UK Parliament. UK Parliament. They mm -hmm. had, I think it was hundreds of thousands of documents they needed to organize and get access to. Again, if they're looking at reviewing bills and regulations and legislature, they have to go back and check all the different facts in there, make sure they can get that. Without doing that in an automated text analytics format, for as an example, it's just manually going, yep, 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 check, yep. But now imagine you, you sick technology on that, and it can mm -hmm. go through and scan for those key words, pull those out there, aggregate that. And now you can say, well, there's your 500 instances of the word blah, blah, blah in, in this particular document. And now you can get analytics on top. You can put analytics on top of that. We aren't an analytics engine. But if you can feed your analytics tool with more powerful data, you get better analytics. Okay. So if you have data that's unorganized, you need Ontotex. I would I would say that's a very smart choice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you have unorganized data. If you, sorry, sorry, if you have organized data, if you've got organized data, but you unorganized, know, unorganized data. You got you got you know, structured we call it structured, unstructured, organized, disorganized. Um, you know, how many companies do you know that go through a merger and acquisition in a year? A couple. A couple. So you get, I've got my data all set. This company is good. Blah, blah, blah. We buy this company. They buy us. They merge. Well, they got a whole new set of data sources. That's true. I got to put. I got to put these together, or maybe I've already said got my data strategy going pretty well. But what about bringing in my CRM system, or we're expanding into e-commerce, or we're adding new channels to our e-commerce strategy? Uh, Starting to fill in the blanks of you know and or, um, where a relational database kind of limits you to to join this, to join that, to join, it, it gets to be chaotic. Knowledge graphs function differently. Right. So that's going to segue into another question, which probably is going to be interesting to hear your answer. Where do you see the marketing industry in the next 10 years, especially hmm. with AI and data driven? When ChatGPT first came out, I was looking at that and going, is my job going to be around much longer? Because messaging and positioning is a, is a core piece of what I do. Okay. Um, yeah. And I've had a few conversations on podcasts around that. I think, I mean, marketing, it's, it's probably a trite statement. Marketing is going to continue to evolve. Right. I think people who are really good at content marketing have the opportunity to continue to excel if they adapt. Because things like ChatGPT and all these technology advancements are fantastic. They're, they're kind of a little intimidating sometimes. But you have to have the ability 
to apply human reasoning to the material that gets produced, much like you know, knowledge graphs and infer in, in, inferences and reasoning. You know, I can ask ChatGP a question about something and it spits out the answer, um, and it's usually pretty darn good, but maybe it, you know, maybe it doesn't say it exactly what it really needs to be said. And people have the skill to have that critical thinking are going to be very important as, as technology continues to, I wouldn't say eliminate, enhance the things that we do in marketing. I think we also need to be continually thinking creatively and uh, be ahead of the game. I mean, social media keeps adapting and evolving. How do you stay up with that? How do you keep up with, you know, Twitter now X and LinkedIn's algorithms and all that? You have to learn how to not fight, but basically join the AI process to keep up with what they're doing right. to get your word out in different fashions. And let's face it. I mean, you know, when, when your team reached out to me as you know, an email, I could have easily just gone yeah, spam True. and deleted it because I have to take the time to look at that. True. Oh, this is actually something real, not just somebody trying to sell me something or what it's going to be. And AI can only ha help that so far. Cause I could have looked at that and said, yeah, that's valid hit delete anyway, because I didn't care. True. AI can't make that, AI can't make that decision for me. So when it comes to marketing's evolution, I think you need to continue to have people who are strategic and tactical and can use both of those skills in conjunction with the technologies that are coming out. So in 10 years, I, I don't, I don't have a clear answer other than just continue to evolve. I mean, like that's, I mean, if I look back 10 years, what I did done in marketing, what I've done since that has evolved. That's true. Yes. Would you mind pulling the curtains back a little bit on Ontotex's uh, marketing structure, um, your team? We'd love to be able to share that. That's a question that I get a lot um, from CEOs, actually, that are looking to build out their teams. Um, as we were just talking about data, data is um, not even just data, but AI, tech, is ever evolving and there are you know hundred million dollar companies that are you know in series a and series b you know they come from an idea to literally was on the phone with a founder he's sitting on 60 million dollars and he's looking to you know he wants us to help build out his entire marketing team and you're like are you serious you have no marketing idea whatsoever um no. can you speak to that to kind of help our listeners sure. Yeah, and I was very fortunate. So um, the, the company I worked for is based in Bulgaria. And when I came on board, they had a team. There was an existing marketing team in Bulgaria doing a great job. My marketing director there has been running the team for, I think it's six or seven years. Um, so I've got basically two, I'll just say two part-time content writers. One's really more of a content marketer. One's more of a, she's a semantic knowledge expert, but she also does content creation. Um, I've got a social media, uh, first of all, Social media and HubSpot CRM type stuff focus, uh, community building. I've got a person that's focusing on, um, uh, he's been focusing on uh, ABM, but I've also added him into product marketing because that's an area we, we need a lot more growth in. Okay. Uh, I've got 12 years of product marketing, so I want to do it all, but of course I can't in my role. No. Uh, and then I've, got, then I've got a creative director who does, who does amazing creative work. It's it'd been interesting to see I probably have used functions of her work before I even came to onto text. Her, her stuff is all over the web. And sometimes we use imagery from it. We don't really realize it. So she does uh, just some pretty slick stuff. 
So that was the team of Bulgaria. When I came on board, I said, if I'm going to be growing out North America, because I was hired to help grow out, basically take over marketing and expand North America's marketing activities. We've got a chief commercial officer who grew out the North America team. Okay. So I need somebody in North America. I mean, the Bulgaria team is fantastic, but, you know, there's, there's only, there's time zones here, so there's American conversation differences, et cetera. Hired a marketing director based in, in uh, Chicago who's come on board and is responsible for basically a, a lump in outbound. So she handles almost everything that's outbound related, whether it's events, uh, webinars, podcasts, influencer strategy, things like that. Um, doing a great job picking that up. And so I've got basically two right hands. I've got a, a director in, in Bulgaria and a director in North America. Right. Make my life, I wouldn't say, yeah, they make my life, make my life easier. You know, we've got a lot, a lot to do. Had a couple of interns come on. We had a marketing creative intern come on for, a, she'll be out here for a few months. We had a, just a marketing one month intern that um, I interviewed this, this young lady when I was over in Bulgaria last time. And I'm like, just her attitude and her style, like I would hire you tomorrow. Oh, I love just, that. She had that, just that spunk. I'm like, yeah, it, it, you can't teach attitude. That's so true. Oh yeah. my goodness. So how do you communicate with your teams on two different, you know, time zones how do you I get do up that? early <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my marketing director in bulgaria scolds me when he sees me up too early he's like you need to get sleep i'm like i sleep fine um you know we, we use slack we use you know email and slack and email are probably our two biggest things um you know they're not you know they're they're, they're fine with texting but it's usually we're doing we do pretty good about adjusting our time zones to meet with them because it's a plus eight hour difference for me from here so, you know, yeah. at nine o'clock my time in the, in the morning, they're pretty much done for the day. Oh my. Yeah. So what's your normal schedule? I'd love to know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, being honest, I would say 6.30 is more common for a start. You know, and they're, and they're yeah, like I said, they're very good about it. They need to work till 5.30 their time or later. They're, you know, they're, they're good about that. But we get, I get really used to packing a lot in between, between six and 9.30 a.m. my time. You know, it's usually just conference calls, conference calls, work, check in, you know, and then catching up an email after that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, the company I worked for before was based in Denmark. So I was used to being up and, you know, working, you know, working global hours beforehand, although Denmark's only plus six, usually plus six, plus seven. Eight hours is, it, it, it definitely, it adds up. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because I did read that you have a 95% employee retention rate for like your team yeah that speaks to your leadership number one number two it makes sense why i got a couple of dms um <laughs> you know, on linkedin that said cool. you know, hey jamie you need to you need to actually look at doug kimball over at Antitex um for your new podcast series uh will you speak to that how you know how do you keep that type of numbers for retention um, and yeah, it's one of, and honestly, it's one of the few things I'm pretty proud about. I'm proud of that um, because I care. I care about my people. Mm. You know, my, my my team. Again, I'm at the top of the ladder when it comes to marketing, and there, you know, it's it's really cool to be here. But I would not be here without the team that I've that I've got now. I would not be here with all the teams that I've worked for, worked for, worked with in the last several years who have added to my skill set and taught me things, whether. You know, it's event marketing, which I've had so much added to my brain about that from a previous company, previous employer, employee I worked with, to leadership, to all these. I've had great mentors and great team members to make me better and to make me look good. Um, 
And so my goal when I work with a team is a, how do I make you be a better, you know, better person than you already are? And I don't mean that they're, they're already great people. So it's not like I'm being critical. It's more like, how do I help you continue to grow and excel professionally? If I can support personally, great, but professionally, that's fun. Um, it, when, if I can get somebody, uh, this happened to me when I was working for the Nielsen company, I managed the consulting team for I don't know, two and a half years. Two of the people that I, I, I led, two of them went on to become VPs and basically passed me in, in, in title. Um, one, I went to, uh, two went to VPs, one came up to the senior director level, one had run, running a business unit. And you know they, they have reached out to me to say, you know, because of me coming in saying, how can I help you? Mm. That's what it came to. So that it's that's probably it. And I just, I spend the time, not as much time as I would like, especially now at the C-level, but I spend the time to say, who are you? Mm-hmm. What do you want to be? How can I help you get there? And also knowing when to leave them alone. I've got a person that on my company here, when I was at Nielsen, that was very happy being where they are. They're very, very good at it. They're very happy. They had no aspicion, aspicion, aspirations. There's a new word, aspicions. Like aspirations it. to go up the ladder or to take on much more response. They just wanted to be really good at doing what they were doing. I'm like, cool. How can I make that even better for you? Oh, I love that. They were content. And you yeah. know... When someone's content, leave them, leave them be. And they were doing a good job at it. And, you know, all I can say, how can I continue to feed you good stuff so you can continue to do good stuff and just stay out of the, and also staying out of the way. Ah, so no micromanaging. No, I probably bug my team more just because, again, I, you know, I'll, I'll be slacking, you know, how, you know what's, I'll just check in what's going on. But it's, it's not, it's not a, where is this? What are you doing? Are, how's things going? And okay. it's just, you know. One of the bad habits I do have is free-flowing ideas, and I have taught my team that you need to look at tonight and go, Doug, shut up. Come back to me today. You're Tell me, do I need to respond now? Is this a now thing? I said, you guys got to you know, manage me, too, and I, I'm aware of it. Now, you know, idea, idea, idea. Sometimes just take the idea, put it in the shelf, tell Doug, just give me a moment. Yeah, so, yeah. So as a CMO, um, Doug, I know – I know you are aware of this. CMOs are multifaceted. We don't all focus on the same thing. True. Some CMOs are data-driven. Some CMOs are purpose-driven. Some CMOs are uh, consumer-based driven. What type of CMO would you say you are and why? It would be a toss up and I would say for me I would say customer driven versus consumer driven but I think it's you know similar in ma- nature I would say customer driven okay although I would purpose might be right right closely behind the reason I say customer driven is that everything that we do when it comes to marketing and my my job in marketing my team's job in marketing is to support our sales team you know, our job is sales enablement, sales effectiveness, market awareness, lead generation, all those things that make the sales team able to help create more opportunities and close more deals. Okay. And all of that should around revolve around the customer or the prospect slash customer, including our messaging, including how we speak to the product, not just, hey, it's this cool widget that does X, Y, and Z, but you should care because it solves this problem. It gives you more revenue. It you know, makes you utilize your people more effectively. An outcome-driven, so I guess now I'm going back to purpose. You're, now you're confusing myself, Doug. But it's, it's, I'd say, again, to me, it's a convergence of the two of those. 
We do this for a purpose to meet the needs of our customers. Yes. Um, I would like to be more data driven, but that's why my marketing director in Bulgaria is outstanding because this guy is a data nut, data geek. His, he loves analytics. The stuff he can do with Google Analytics, I just sit there and watch and go, wow. <laughs> I love it. Um, the, um, the CMO of Apple once said that he was customer centric which was something new. So maybe that's kind of where you are with mm -hmm. a little bit of consumer, but customer, but you're more customer centric to help your sales team. And yeah. I love that you have that directive because most, most marketing teams, you don't have that direction. You know, you just come in and it's like, oh, we always a thought leadership, but to know that you're there to help the sales team, you're here to amplify mm -hmm. the sales. That's, Phenomenal. So kudos on your CEO because sometimes they just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's and, and the CEO when I came on board, the CEO who had been, you know, he did, he's he's the one that created the company. He actually created the solution we sell, which is guys incredibly brilliant. And he was being a CMO and a CEO and all these other things, and so he's been very happy to go here. You know, wow. He, you know, and he, has, he gives me guidance. We, we 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 collaborate. We disagree, which I think is constructive. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's the way, that's what I was looking for in a C-level position is, again, a team that you can work well together with and still disagree with. Does that make sense? Oh, it does, because it segues into my next question. Huh? <laughs> Years ago, there was talk that CMOs didn't have a seat at the table and we weren't invited to the important meetings. Hmm. Why do you think that is? And do you think it's changed today? I think it for the one for the longest time, marketing was just still seen as a fluffy thing to do. It was, you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, coloring in the slides, making them look pretty. It was, you know, it was kind of just the easy stuff until somebody tries to go do it. Um, and I think, and you talk about customer centricity from Apple. I think that just in the last five, 10, 15 years, especially, a increased focus on on you. You are the person we are trying to sell to. We want to sell specifically to Jamie Washington and her family and her kids who live here because of these things. They have these needs. Start to understand that we need to, to talk directly to the consumer slash customer slash end user. And realizing a lot of that is marketing. It's personalization. It's customization of messaging. It's cutting through the noise. And you know, we've got an explosion of technology where you know, you can reach me on 19 different platforms and 50 different kinds of messaging and apps. And how do I cut through the noise? Again, your email that came out, it had to cut through the noise for me to go, I should pay attention to this. And a good, a good marketing effort should focus on, at this very core, what is the message? How do we position it? And how do we reach you? And so I think that's one of the biggest changes that, at least that's you know, my theory, um, is following up on this explosion of technology makes it makes it easier and harder, easier to reach people, but harder to stand out. And now we've got to find a way to stand out. Mm. Yes. Sam Walton once said, um, and for those that don't know who Sam Walton, Sam Walton from Walmart, <laughs> he said, you know, if you want the people in the stores to take care of the customers, you have to make sure you're taking care of the people in the stores. I love it. Yeah. But 
I mean, it's, it just, it's one of those things when you say it, it's like, duh. But if you don't practice it. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't, absolutely. No. And so it's one of those things where you say, well, I need to focus on it. But if I don't, then I could be like a blockbuster. If I don't know my customer, you know, um, I think about, and I don't know if you've heard this story before of how the, the two co-founders of Netflix went. Oh yeah. You know the story. Yeah. So they went to a podcast. Yeah. What, that was an, it's an amazing story. I mean, it was just, ha, huh, it laughed you out of the office. Good luck. Out of the office. So for yeah. our listeners that may not know, um, yeah, the two co-founders of Netflix went to Blockbuster and they wanted to align their product with Blockbuster and they wanted to be the digital side of Blockbuster. And they literally were laughed, laughed people out of the boardroom. Um, and I actually read the Blockbuster um, board review that they sent out, um, the board mm. of directors sent out, um, and I actually, I guess Gary Vaynerchuk got a hold of it. And then he shared it on one of his podcasts and I downloaded it just to read it. And I could not believe, Doug, that inside of this 200 page like document that it said our customers they like to get out of their house and they like to come into our stores and eat our popcorn. They like to feel the cases on the DVD. They like to walk around our stores. And I was like, oh my goodness, did they just lose touch with the customer? And mm -hmm. when you lose touch with the customer, you can go out of business. Yeah, and that, that's why when I answered your question, that's why I think generally I tend to be customer driven because you know, you know, it's one of the things I've been pushing it out to tech since I came here. We're a very engineering focused company. We're very technical. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sell just to the technical people. It's a good, you know, we can sell it and it works. I want to sell to the bigger picture, the enterprise, the, the bigger concept. And to do that, you have to go to the up, up the ladder to people who understand the business and talk to that level of customer. So uh, yeah. that's why I mean, customer, I don't want to say customer centric, but customer focused knowing the pain that they are dealing with. I never had the pain of wanting to walk around Blockbuster and eat popcorn. And I just wanted to go solve a problem. So that's a, I love that example. I listened to that podcast and this guy, I remember shaking my head going, miss. Miss and miss. Yeah. <laughs> a miss. And now Blockbuster is nowhere to be found. And Netflix yep. is doing okay. Yeah, they're doing okay. They're in the black now, finally. But yep. they're doing yeah, okay. finally. <laughs> if you weren't a CMO, what do you think you'd be and why? Yes. I'd probably be back doing a VP of product marketing. I've done product marketing for uh, 12 years. Okay. And it was fun when I realized, I don't know, six years ago or so that was, I loved it. I mean, it was, it was, it was taking my geeky side of technology and my ability to communicate and interpret things, not be a architect level technology person, but not be completely just fluffy in, in marketing and bring those together um, and realizing how broad and deep, you know, the things that product marketing handles, I'd probably be doing a, a product marketing role. I, I, I enjoyed that. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. Uh, so I want to talk about the wall street journal just a bit. And they published a study from Spencer Stewart talking about the CMO and the way they painted us. I was like, Oh, 
do I know any of my friends like that? <laughs> I mean, they, they said that we we live in silos and yeah. we are, you know, the most dangerous out of the C-suite. I want to ask you, you know, why do you feel or, you know, first of all, let me back back up a little bit. It also said that CMOs usually have a lifespan of 40 months. Mm hmm. Yeah, it was like, what? You know, why is that the industry norm? If you can kind of speak on that, what are your and thoughts? that number actually surprises me that it's as high as it is, to be honest. Because um, I've seen, and maybe it's just where I've been, you know, I've seen a lot of CMOs be there for two years, a year, year and a half. Right. Um, but I think to go back to the, you know, the 40 months or thereabouts, I think it's because what we, we, what we do can be so hard to quantify, even if you're data-driven. You know, you can show, like I said, you can show the Google Analytics and website visits are up or website visits are down. You can do account-based marketing and target the right people and you're getting engagements, you're getting downloads are up. But we don't close a sale. We uh, influence a sale. Yes. We, we, we should be influencing a sale. We track metrics to say marketing influence pipeline and close pipeline. We track all that, but we don't close a sale. So it's harder, I think, to attribute direct revenue to marketing in a lot of ways. I can, and then we've got examples, and I've got examples here where we went to a trade show in in it was March, and now we've got a customer we've been talking to for that came to us at the trade show, and we're, we're moving well, you know, very well along the deal. If we close that, it's gonna be a nice sized deal. It'll be specifically because of a marketing activity. But people tend, unless I've got a, my CCO is very good about making sure we get attribution, but people will forget that when they sign the contract, that marketing started this. Yes. So I think that's part of it. I think some of what it is, is that, again, like I said before, you know, what we do is kind of fluffy. You know, I can, I can rock and make a kick butt PowerPoint and it looks good and it'll help you, help you establish a good conversation or put up at a trade show. Yes. Um, I can create a great global field kickoff event because I've had some great mentors, for example, and bring people together and get dynamic activity going. And that helps add to the skill sets of the marketing and the sales team. But does that one day, that one slide, bring in a, a signed contract? Directly? No. Indirectly? No. Absolutely influences it. Absolutely. Hmm. You no. know, yeah. and you bring out a, a, a good point of, it, with our messaging, you know, marketing, we build the business but we don't get the attribution of building the business. We build brands, mm -hmm. but, but it's not attributed to, to marketing unless something goes wrong. <laughs> Why is the website not working, but it's better. Exactly. Or you, you know, your digital marketing manager accidentally takes the uh, monthly budget for Facebook ads and puts it for daily budget. And you're like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, ooh, I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The CEO. Yeah. I, just, I just think it's a. I just think it's a perception thing. I think it. You know, it that is slowly changing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, and I know that when I was going through my hunt, there was a lot. There was a lot more marketing opportunities out there that I'd seen the in the previous few years. Uh, it's you know, it's getting there, but it's. I still think it's there's a. Can you show me the results of what you do? And yes, I mean, I've got quantifiable and measurable objectives that we show a demonstrated success and I got monthly KPIs I track, but a lot of what we do, and sometimes this is the hard part, is just throwing spaghetti at the wall 
and see what sticks. Right. And hopefully that one podcast or that one post I put on LinkedIn reaches somebody that goes, hey, I should call on to text. Where I would challenge the sales mindset is that I don't think that every single email, prospecting email they send out leads to a sale. So what's different? What is different? I don't they know. They sign the contract. Yes. <laughs> they sign the contract. Yes. And I, and I, and I respect, I work closely with sales. So it's not, this is not, a, I don't, this is not an us versus them thing. I mean, if, Absolutely. You know, I mean, interview with my CCO. I mean, he, he and I had to not just see eye to eye. We had to get along because we were going to collaborate every single day. And we do. And he, we, we work very well together. But there's just a different mindset. And he's, he's a very good supporter of marketing. So I'm, I'm quite happy. I love that. Um, so, Doug, you, you, you mentioned when you were looking for this opportunity that there was a lot more opportunities for marketing. And I, I want to ask you a question about that. Do you foresee CMOs in the next five years having to show that they have some sort of AI component and I don't even know, I don't know how because you know you can't go to Harvard and they teach you AI at least not right now but do you think that's going to be part of the job that of the CMO with AI being I think I think so I think being able to use it being able to explain it okay and its impact on on marketing slash sales slash business development. I think being able to do that, yes. As I've seen some LinkedIn courses pop up, and you probably seen the same thing. One's basically, I think, explaining generative AI to the business, as an example. Um, being able to have that in your mental toolbox, for lack of a better term, for, you know, hey, should we use this for marketing technology? Should we adopt these sort of things? And or... Because again, I look at it from a sales support perspective. I, mean, I occasionally get pulled into sales calls and I need to be able to be a thought leader who can say, here's what I'm hearing from the analyst community. Here's what I'm hearing from you know, thought leadership. Here's what I'm hearing from influencers about you know, AI or machine learning or you know, pick, it, pick your buzzword and be able to talk to it intelligently to lead to a path but also make it part of who you are as part of your discussion. So as you're putting together a new PowerPoint, having a podcast, or you're planning an event, whatever it's going to be, that you're keeping impacts, beneficial and negative, of AI on all the things that we do. Excellent question. I hadn't really thought about that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Doug, if someone wanted to reach out to you after watching the podcast or listening to the podcast <laughs> how would they do that uh, linkedin is the best way i mean I'm, I'm pretty i'm mildly selective on linkedin I mean, if you hit me up with linkedin and the next thing you do is say i want to sell me something i'll probably just block you um but yeah i mean i'm always happy to talk to people but again i've had great people you know help me out of my time you know if i can link to somebody and you know share thoughts or just you know be help you know helpful somebody else that's fun to me um just don't try to sell me anything. It gets tiring. I love that. Yes. You guys, you hear that? So when, if he accepts, don't, no, don't do that. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm LinkedIn is my, my favorite platform for influencing and for sharing. Uh, I learn a lot from other people who post on LinkedIn. So 
you know, that's why I, I, I enjoy connecting with others because it gives me a new thing, you know, a new thing pops up in my feed. Like, oh, it's a cool article. If I had all day, I'd read everything I always wanted to read, but unfortunately, I don't. I hear you. <laughs> how would you get anything done? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I don't even know how anyone can post every single day on LinkedIn and, and still work. I tried yeah. that and it just didn't, it didn't work. I was like, how? I can't post, not natively. Of course, I can get my team to write right. it. And that's not authentic. That's not authentic. So I was like, yeah. no, I want to actually post my own post <laughs> and not create my own. For one to two a week. And sometimes it works well. Sometimes like, oh, I haven't posted in a while. So. Right. <laughs> well, Doug, you know, I want to say thank you so much for spending time with yeah. us today. It's been an amazing uh, interview, and I look forward to continuing to chat with you via LinkedIn. And Definitely. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Me too. Thanks very much. Thanks.